0: Tonight's reading is from Luke chapter 10, verse 1 to 16, and this can be found on page 1041 of the Bibles. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, "'The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few.' Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God is near you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that sticks to your feet we wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For as the miracles that were performed in you had been formed in Tyre and Sidon. They would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. He who listens to you listens to me. He who rejects you rejects me. But he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. This is the word of the Lord.
1: I wonder how risk averse you are. I wonder, do you know what risk aversion is? Are you risk averse? Maybe your life has been a bit risk averse. There are some people who are particularly risk averse. Well, what does it mean? Very simply, basic definition, in economics and finance, risk aversion is the behavior of humans especially consumers and investors, who, when exposed to uncertainty or danger, attempt to lower that uncertainty or danger. So it's possible that ahead of you there's some kind of possible danger, possible threat to your existence, to your bank balance, you'll walk away and you won't take up the possibility, the opportunity, the purchase. How risk-averse are you? You might be able to tell by the kind of career that you want to choose or that you're heading towards. These are the most dangerous careers and these will be unlikely for you if you are risk adverse. Starting at number eight, waste management, particularly around the Holy Land, civil engineering, healthcare, manufacturing, lorry driving, scaffolding and roofing, construction, and number one, farming. Any Farmers in this evening, any farmers, or at least intended farmers. If you're risk averse, you'll stay well away from these because they're potentially, in most cases, life threatening. But where would you place this in that list? Mission, evangelism, basic, every day, in the class, in your halls, in your neighborhood, talking about Jesus where would you place that? Those are careers. What about hobbies? In reverse order, number eight, recreational boating. That's probably the picky pool and banger. You know the, the picky pool and banger? <laughs> recreational boating. Scuba diving, number seven. Mountain climbing, number six. Bull running, As for the farmers. Bull running, number five. Hang gliding, Wing suiting. Have you ever seen that? Someone's got this wing with like, or this, this suit with wings on it, and they just jump off. Aren't they mad? That's absolute bonkersness. And then two base jumping. And then number one, free solo climbing. If you're risk adverse The previous slide had all of the careers that you're likely to avoid because there's so much danger. And with the list, well, it was on the screen, descending downwards, but actually ascending in terms of danger, you're likely to stay away from those ones. If reading these things in terms of the hobbies are making you feel slightly nervous and your palms are sweating, you're probably very risk-averse. You'll not do anything that you can't at least See, that you can't at least hold on to, that you can't at least have a net underneath you, you'll stay away from those. How risk averse are you? Where would you place mission? Evangelism? Talking about Jesus, speaking the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the thing that we talk about every Sunday here in your growth groups, in the conversations you have late into the evening do you get nervous? Do your palms sweat? Do your knees knock? Do you want to see the net underneath you? Do you want to see what the outcome will be that you'll be accepted and embraced and you won't lose any of your friends? How risk-averse are you when it comes to speaking of and about Jesus to your friends who, well, some of them never have heard about Jesus, It is possible to live in Northern Ireland in 2020 and not to have heard about Jesus. It is possible to come from other parts of the world to Northern Ireland, and we're hugely privileged to have loads of people here this evening who are from other parts of the world. But there are parts, would you believe it, there are parts of the world where the name Jesus is entirely unknown. This bit of the Bible is Jesus dealing with that phenomenon? No knowledge of Jesus. No knowledge of the good news of Jesus. It's about mission. Are your palms sweating as you hear Jesus' words? Because mine are let me tell you, as I read through Luke chapter 10, indeed, all of Luke so far, because the way Luke has gone, let's follow it. We're going to look at verse 1 in just a second. But in your Bibles, please have a Bible in front of you, either on your iPhone, other lesser models, or the actual book in front of you. Luke chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, page 1031. Jesus comes on the same Luke chapter 4, page 1031, Jesus comes on the scene. Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Listen to Jesus' self-description. Luke chapter 4, verse 18. And note something, please. He says, This the Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to do what? Perform miracles? Be a model person? No. Look, look at his list of priorities, and he's lifting them straight from the Old Testament. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. The poor here is the spiritually poor. Then go to chapter 9. Last week's talk, which is five chapters on, page 1039. Luke chapter 9. And listen to what Jesus does. Remember, the Bible is, well, Luke's gospel is unveiling and revealing Jesus in real time and space. 2000 years ago, sometimes we approach the Bible and think it's just fairy tale. Didn't really happen to us. The way it's written is just kind of a, a bunch of moralistic statements somehow coggled together. But no, there is a story, an unfolding story. So Luke chapter 1, sorry, Luke chapter 4, Jesus describes himself as a preacher. Luke chapter 9, Jesus recruits 12 preachers. Have a look, Luke chapter 9, verse 1. When Jesus had called the 12 together, we're moving a look along. Well, Luke is actually pulling us by the nose chronologically. So we've gone from 1, we've gone from 9, and then flick over chapter 10, or look in the screen, chapter 10, verse 1. We've gone from 1, we've gone to 12, and now we're at 72. These are people Jesus has recruited, chapter 9, 12, chapter 10, 72. These are people who are going to do the same activity of Jesus. Verse 1, on the screen or in the Bibles. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of Him to every town and place where he was about to go. Do you see what Jesus is doing? As we're following the story of Jesus, well, really, essentially, it's the trickle-down effect. Have you heard of the trickle-down effect? Some of your economists here this evening, mathematicians. I didn't understand it. I was out with a friend who's a bit of an investor, and we're sitting in a coffee shop which had a chocolate fountain. That's kind of my dream, a chocolate fountain. If you ever, it's my birthday soon, July. Um, if, if. If you want to buy me something, no hints. He tried to explain to me trickle down economics. So essentially, make more people rich so that more people can benefit from the wealth. Is that it? Is that it, basically? Is that, am I right? No one has a clue in this room. Absolutely no one looking blank. You have no idea. Anyway, look it up sometime. I, I tried to understand. He explained it in very simple words, small words, in fact. He tried to, and I I couldn't get it. And they said, look at the chocolate fountain. Oh, of course. (laughs) Longingly, I looked at the chocolate fountain. What I saw was that the chocolate was being pushed up to the top of the fountain and then spreading out, trickle down. This is what Jesus is doing. The gospel is being pushed up from the one, then 12, then to the 72. And if you follow the rest of the story, you hear that every disciple who hears the gospel, who responds in repentance of faith, who has a brand new life in Jesus, knowing that their sins are forgiven because Jesus died on the cross for them, they, everyone, every disciple will be a disciple maker. Do you see the trickle-down effect? That includes you by the way. This is the mission of Jesus, and he sets it up here in the proto-mission of the twelve. In the proto mission of the seventy two and in the mission of every commissioned disciple of Jesus. This bit of the Bible spells it out. In fact, it's a bit of a training manual, would you believe it? For mission. It was treated like that by early Christians. What do we do? What are we supposed to do? Well, it's here. So what's it all about? Well, number one, the mission is paramount. Try to remember this. The mission is paramount. The mission of preaching the good news to the spiritually poor, that is everyone in the world who's never heard about Jesus, is absolutely paramount. What's the first aspect of it? And this is verse 2. Well, this is Jesus as he's well, if you have a look at verse 1, after this, he appoints to 72 and sent them two by two ahead of well. What does he tell them, verse 2? He tells them, he told them, quote, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, isn't that interesting? He calls the disciples, here we are here, He calls the 72 disciples, those who've received Him, those who know the good news, those who've responded to the good news. And what is His first instruction? It's to pray for more of them. Do you notice that? The mission is so paramount that the the multiplication of the missionaries The missioners, is to be their primary request from God. Do you notice that? So those who are engaged in missions coming up. What's your first request of God? Those of you who've involved in mission teams, beach missions, so on and so forth. What's your first request of God? Well, it seems that Jesus would want it to be, Lord, please raise more. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out, throw out, actually, the force of the original, throw out, spew out workers into his harvest field. Okay, we get that. The mission is so paramount that those who are engaged in the mission must be recruiting, praying for, and asking the Lord to do this. It's a spiritual work. It's not just a practical, administrative work. How boring would that be? It's a spiritual work where you look to the Lord and you say, Lord, this mission is so paramount. Would you raise up more and more and more people? Because the need is great. The harvest field is massive, but the workers are few. Now, if you're recruiting someone to do something, you might leave this next piece of advice once everyone had signed in the dotted line, once everyone was comfortable with the concept. Well, here we go. Go, Jesus says. I'm sending you out of a good time. I'm sending you out to have relaxing time. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Wow. Imagine the careers fair, school, uni, and you go along, you go to the various stalls, there's kind of dentistry, (laughs) there's um, law, There's light bulb fitter, replacer. There's mission, sharing the good news of Jesus. That's stall. And you kind of look down the list, pray, okay, pray. Obviously, the mission must be very important because the first task of the missionary is to pray for more missionaries. And then, (gasps) second point, I'm sending you out like wolves among lambs. this is the reality. Rejection is a fact. Get used to it. It's part and parcel of this paramount mission. Receive it. Understand it. Know that as Jesus was rejected, you also will be rejected. For us in the West, what does that look like? Well, it might look like embarrassment, social exclusion. In other parts of the world, it might mean losing your head, quite literally. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Have you ever seen a lamb beat a wolf? Have you ever seen that? I've never seen that. That's not the way around it works. The lambs are devoured. Ripped from limb to limb. Wow. The mission is paramount. Pray, receive persecution, and then do not bring anything with you that speaks of home comforts. Verse 4: Do not take a purse or bag or sandals. And do not greet anyone on the road. I I used to work for a mission agency. Uh, We sent teams to various places, and you always had a checklist, particularly for the lads who are part of the team because they, you know, they're a bit clueless. They need their mums to look after them, which is a bit clueless. There'd always be a checklist. So, teddy bear, toothpaste, shower gel, make sure. The people who are recruited for the team bring these things. And it was always after some kind of risk assessment. Highly risky. Some of the lads I know who went in some of the teams I was organizing. But here we have, it seems, opposite kind of advice to that. Do not take a purse. That's a knapsack. Bag, sandals. Don't even greet anyone on the road because it's possible you could get engaged in conversation. And if you're working in Ireland, it's possible to be entirely distracted and for the rest of the day, I talk about the weather or about who you might know. And that's a distracting thing, isn't it? Do not greet anyone on the road. The mission is paramount, therefore, stay focused. Don't hold, hold on to the Home comforts, a purse, a bag, or sandals. And then another note of threat, really, isn't it? When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest in him. If not, it will return to you. And surely when these 72 heard the if, a shudder, A second shudder after the wolves, a second shudder probably went down their backs. And then the mission being paramount, stay in that house, Jesus says. Eating and drinking whatever they give you. For the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. In other words, don't get comfortable, or don't be acquisitive. The house that you might, well, end up in may not have hot and cold running taps, may just have a shower not a bath, May not be entirely, may not have sky the house that you may end up. And what would the natural reaction be for anyone is to kind of move to the place where perhaps I'll be even more comfortable. But Jesus says, no, no, just take what is given to you, be satisfied because the mission is paramount, and do not move from house to house. The mission is paramount, so paramount that verse 8, when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. You might not know, but where Jesus is geographically now, there were, there were essentially Jewish towns, and Jesus was sending these 72 to an essentially Jewish neighborhood. However, there were those places and those houses, and out of the 72, a number probably ended up in these houses of those who did not observe Jewish food laws, the kosher laws. So, this would have been some form of nightmare for the Pharisees, wouldn't it? for the pharisaically-minded Jew who was one of the 72 being sent out by Jesus. In other words, you may have to go into a culture, into a house, into someone's home, which you may be tempted to move on from. Don't, Jesus has said. Eat what is set before you. Have you ever been part of a team that you've gone to Africa? I have. And I I struggle with the food in those places. And I was actually quite rude. And I I probably meant to be quite rude because I couldn't cope with it. In Jira, I went to Ethiopia. In Jira is the bread. And the bread that was set in front of me was kind of a fermented bread. It looked like, how can I describe it? Um, Look it up, Google it sometime. How can I describe the taste of it? I can't. I really can't. But but in this place, we're in north northeast of Ethiopia. This was set in front of us at every meal. It was not only the staple diet, it was the way the Ethiopians consumed their food. It was a, a bread that you put in your plate, and you put the various salads and beans around your plate and you broke a bit of the bread off and then various sauces as well, broke broke a bit of the bread off, if you can call it bread, broke a bit of the bread off and you would eat on the bread the salads and you'd do that. By day three, some kind of tummy bug. I couldn't. I can see why Jesus is saying this. What did I want to do? I wanted to go home. I wanted to get the next plane and go home. I was not coping with the food. Eight. what is set before you. This paramount mission has, as its essence, proclamation. Verse 9. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. What are you to do when you're on this mission? What is the job? The job's spec. What's the core business? Tell them the kingdom of God is near you. In other words, the reign of God is about to come upon you. The rule of God is over you. Acknowledge that rule. Acknowledge the reign of God. He the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. But when you enter and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet, we will wipe off against you, yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near You've spoken those words. The reign and rule of God. Submit to it. Turn around. Repent. Believe it. The kingdom of God is near you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed with that message, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet, we wipe off against you. You see, the reality of rejection in the face of the message that's being proclaimed? What are you to do? Are you to turn your back on that place, even though you're wiping the dust of your feet? Well, no. You say, be sure of this. The kingdom of God is near. The mission is proclaimed. The reality of judgment, you see, in in the middle of mission, in the middle of thinking about evangelism, in the middle of thinking about opening your mouth to speak about Jesus, here is a reality, the eternal reality, the fact of God's judgment. It will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town as the message is being proclaimed but being rejected. Sodom in the Old Testament was a city, an arrogant city that rejected God, and it, was, it became a kind of a, you know, it's one of those places that everyone knew the name Sodom and Gomorrah, Matthew's gospel, whenever this is recounted, this bit of the story of Jesus recounted the references to Sodom and Gomorrah, where there was sexual immorality, and then God destroys the town, the city. Interestingly, do you see what's happening here? As Jesus speaks to these 72 and tells them what is ahead of them, there will be rejection. And if a town wholesale rejects the message of the 72 who've been sent ahead of Jesus, Sodom will have gotten off more lightly than that time. This is big stuff, isn't it? This is serious stuff. This is Jesus speaking. Jesus, like all of those who are listening to Him, knew about Sodom, the immorality, the fundamental rejection of God, On that day, if these 72 and the message of the kingdom of God is near, is rejected, you'd rather be in Sodom. And then, you would rather not be in Chorazin or Bethsaida. These were places, and you can see here the map, um, perhaps you can't really see it, I feel like a geography teacher. There's Chorazin. This is, this is kind of the, the, the basic triangle. This a ministry triangle up here. Uh, Chorazin, there's Bethsaida there in this Capernaum. Jesus mentions that in a little bit. Chorazin, Bethsaida. It'd be much better if you're in one of those towns. Sorry, it'd be much better if you're in Sodom than in one of these towns. Chorazin, Bethsaida, for, look at the rest of verse number 13. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tar and Sidon, they were another paragon of rejection of God. They, even those towns, Sodom, Tar, Sidon, would have repented long ago if they had seen, if they had witnessed the miracles, the power of God, and they'd have been sitting there in sackcloth and ashes, the mark and the clothing of those who are repenting. And turning to God. Indeed, he says the same thing here, verse 14. It'll be more bearable for Tar and Sidon at the judgment than for you. Jesus warns. Jesus says, Look, this is big stuff, seventy two. Your rejection will have ultimate and eternal consequences for those towns and those individuals who reject the message. And then verse number 15, you, Capernaum, will be lifted up to the skies. No one will go down to the depths. You'll be cast, thrown into hell. Capernaum witnessed many miracles of Jesus. They were blessed in that way. But did they receive Jesus? Did they receive the message? Did they acknowledge and turn round to live under the kingdom of God, the rule of God and reign of Jesus? No. They saw the miracles, but rejected Jesus. Why? Why? Why is this? Well, the answer is in verse 16. He who listens to you listens to me. He who rejects you rejects me. But he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. These 72, like the 12 before them, not operating on their own authority. They're not operating with their own made-up sort of message. Who are they speaking of? Who has given them the message? Who are they representing? Well, it's Jesus Himself, the One who's come to preach good news to the poor. So, in rejecting them, one of the 72, or two of the 72 likely, because they're to go out two by two, or one of the twelve in chapter 9, who ultimately, fundamentally are they rejecting? And if you're a Christian and you speak of Jesus to your friends and you're laughed at, ridiculed, rejected, ignored, please see this. Who are people rejecting? Is it you? Well, yes. Primarily, who are they rejecting? Jesus. He who listens to you listens to me. With the words that the 72 had been given, the kingdom of God is near. Those are the words. Those were Jesus' words. Lifting exactly what Jesus has said to them and speaking to them and giving them Jesus' message. If they listen, they're listening not to the 72. Well, yes, they are. They're hearing from the 72. But who fundamentally are they listening to? It is Jesus. When you say, turn around to Jesus, stop going your own way, repent and believe, Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin. Turn around, stop going that way, go this way instead. Jesus died for your sin so that you can be forgiven and live with Him forever. As you say those words, which are Jesus' words, you're speaking on behalf of Jesus. You're speaking Jesus' message And if you're rejected or ridiculed or laughed at or people ignore you, do you see this? Do you believe this? They're rejecting Jesus fundamentally, basically. That's what happens. And you do not want to be in a place where you've rejected Jesus because Jesus will do to you exactly what you do to him. It's brilliant logic, isn't it? It's straightforward and utterly fair. But if you say to Jesus, shove off, go away, I reject you, Jesus will say, I reject you on that day. That's how serious this is. It's Christianity being a Christian fundamental in your life? You're thinking, you're speaking, you're acting, you're living. Is it? This isn't make believe. This isn't the kind of a play thing. It isn't something that I've made up or Dave or Peter or Xander, or Matty or Anyone else you know is associated with uni church, it's not made up by us. Jesus is real. His resurrection. You cannot you, you really you really cannot simply walk away from Jesus having looked at the resurrection and said, Meh. that? How, how can you do this? It happens. It all happens. Any kind of cynicism or skepticism that you have around these words, please quickly, quickly put it in the rubbish bin. It really happened. There is a heaven and there is a hell. There is a judgment. You hear Jesus' words, People like to think of Jesus, and it's, it's a kind of a made-up Jesus that they think of. Gentle Jesus, make him mild, wouldn't hurt a fly. Jesus. The first mention of hell in the New Testament is from whose lips? The Pharisee's lips? The fundamentalist's lips? From whose lips? That's a quiz. Pub quiz kind of question. The first, it probably wouldn't come up, mind you. The first kind of, the first person To use the word hell in the New Testament is who? Jesus. When he says, you know, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Better to enter. Heaven maimed than hell with a body full intact. He who listens to you listens to me. He who rejects you rejects me. But he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. So the mission is paramount. The mission is proclaim. Have a listen the last bit. The mission is partial. Oh, partial, you say. Why do you say that? Look at verse 17. So they're gone on their mission trip. Right, that that got all the pictures. They've kind of got everyone's address. That they you know, you do that on a mission trip. You know, can, you're going to keep in touch for the rest of your life. And you no, know, it doesn't work like that. I, I know that. Sure, it doesn't. You get the emails of the people, and that's what's happened. So they've been on it, and it's been really, really successful. It's been incredible. Think of an evangelist who's like a Billy Graham who's headed out, and you know, millions of people hear the gospel, and millions of people respond. Fantastic, wonderful, brilliant. And in their case, even the demons. Look at verse 17. The seventy-two returned with joy, and said, "Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name." Wow, that's some power. That is impressive. Imagine going on that mission team. Yeah, yeah, there were the wolves, and there were some people in the houses that we stayed in who didn't receive our blessing of peace. Who. Some towns where it was a bit difficult and we wiped the dust off our feet, and but we kept saying, the Lord is, but look, oh, look at me, I'm class. Even the demons submit to us in your name. That's quite a mission team. Wow. Aren't you impressed with us, Jesus? Because we're certainly impressed with ourselves, how spiritually successful we are. Even the demons submit to us in your name. But this mission is partial, because in no sense ought they to have had any ego whatsoever. They were nothing, absolutely nothing. Even though they saw great revival, even though they saw many converted, even though they saw this incredible spiritual activity, the demons submitting to our name the egos were beginning to become inflated. That is possible, isn't it? I went in this team and loads of people were converted. Oh, look at me, look at me, how cool I am, how successful I am, how special I am. I'm kind of the, the main man. How many, how many demons did you cast out, one of the 72 or 74? Oh, actually, I did 75. Isn't that good? Even the demons submit to us in your name. What does Jesus say? Well, he says this. This is why their mission was partial. Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now, commentators, those who write on this understand it in three different ways. One is that past tense saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. The fall of Satan. The Satan. The angel, the Satan who fell. Of course, Jesus is God, and he saw it. I saw Satan. as that past? Or is that future? I, I saw Satan and Jesus at the end of time where Satan is finally and ultimately destroyed like lightning from heaven. Lightning doesn't go back up again, does it? Once it's gone down, that's it. Or, third way, or... Is this, as you've been doing your work, 72, as those demons have been in submission to you, as you've spoken my message in my name, even the demons submit to us? Well, I saw Satan fall as that was happening. I saw Satan fall. It might be a bit of all three. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Now, when you're walking without sandals in the Middle East, to know that it's possible to walk where snakes and scorpions, and you're protected from them, nothing will harm you. Of course, the ego, the head, might get inflated, Jesus saw much more. And in fact, they're looking at the wrong thing. Do not rejoice at the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The role they, they kind of you know in school you say, you know, P4, your name was in a in a roll it was called out. If you're present, you said, present, miss. If you're absent, you say, absent. No, you're absent. You simply don't respond. But here's a list of all those, including these 72. And Jesus says, look, you saw all this incredible work. You saw, and you were protected. Do you see that? Verse 19. I protect you, to overcome all the power of the You've seen that. What an incredible privilege. But do not think that that's the real bit of it all. Instead, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Do you see what Jesus does? He does this in Luke chapter 13. He does this. He does this. There's absolutely no possibility of ego in those who serve Jesus. If there is, and you see it in some of us, Rebuke us. Don't rejoice in how good you are. Instead, say, rejoice that on that day you will not be cast into hell. Be thankful for God's grace in your life. Be thankful for God's rescue and forgiveness of you. Be thankful that you will be in heaven forever with Jesus as you are in Jesus. Mission is paramount. The mission, the job, the job description, the the activity is to proclaim that the kingdom of God is near, but it's partial. And as we read on into Luke's gospel, we see that more and more and more and more people hear the good, as Jesus heads out and his own mission statement is, I've come to seek and to save the lost." So where do you fit? There are kind of three sort of categories in this story, not story, in this episode from Luke chapter 10. There are those who've been called and who've received Jesus, whose job it is, whose life's purpose it is, to in an undistracted and committed way, to proclaim that the kingdom of God is here. As we move on in Luke's gospel, that's really every Christian. You read to the end of Matthew's gospel, you hear the words of Jesus, go and make disciples of all nations. Nowhere to be excluded, no person or people group to be excluded from hearing about Jesus and given the opportunity to become a disciple. That's that first group. Then there are those who are involved in that, whose egos have become inflated, who here, no, 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 that, that, that's the wrong attitude, guys. No, no, Jesus said, that's the wrong attitude. No, no, don't, don't imagine that, that you have this power and that that's the main thing. Just rejoice that your names are written in heaven, that you are saved, that you're rescued, and that you're secure in Jesus. That's the second category. Then there's that third category of those who reject Jesus. dangerous places to be. Very dangerous. There is an opportunity, of course, not to remain in that third category. That's what all of this is about. Those of us who know Jesus, who have said sorry to Jesus, who have become Christians, we know the joy the reassurance, the excitement that there is in knowing that our sins are forgiven and we need not fear God towards condemnation. We know that we won't be rejected by Jesus on that last day. So, which one of those categories are you in? That second category of those who are kind of Getting bigger heads because of activity, Christian activity and service and mission, sorted out. Those of you who are kind of hearing and knowing and not engaged in speaking of the kingdom of God being near, well, get engaged. But that third category, sorted out. Hear those words the kingdom of God is near. Turn around. Acknowledge the King. Receive Jesus. Say, I am sorry, Lord Jesus, for my sin. Please forgive me. Thank you for dying on the cross instead of and for me. And then you'll be able to see verse 20, the very bottom. Sorry, I'm pointing. There's a screen there. Very bottom. Very bottom. You'll be able to rejoice that your name is written in heaven, Jesus Jesus' scroll. Let's pray. You love us so much, Heavenly Father, that you warn us. You love us so much, Heavenly Father, that you sent Jesus to die for us. You love us and this world so much That you send us, those of us who know of your great love and forgiveness and mercy, this new life, you send us to speak of you. Thank you that you love us so much. We pray, Heavenly Father, that we would love those whom you love, those who do not know you, those who need to hear of you, those who need to repent for the kingdom of God is near. Please forgive us for thinking that we are the most important thing in your mission. Please forgive us for that. And please may we serve those who do not know you to the ends of the earth for the rest of time. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.